This is Song. And this is Sarah. This is Epping Ethical, where we try to make sense of all the choices facing consumers every day. So we wrote a blog um, for Yale SOM, um, where we recently graduated from business school. Um, They had been doing a series of blogs about friendships that started at SOM and kind of where they are now. And it was um, can be found on like LinkedIn and um, stuff with hashtag SOM BFF. But we thought we had a cool story. Um, I still think we have a cool story. So we wrote that and (laughs) wanted to talk about it a little bit here. Um, Because, you know, I'm well, and also like that is, I I always joke that like getting an MBA, I was just paying for really expensive friends. Like that's really (laughs) what it is. Um, So like this is one of my very valuable expensive friendships. (laughs) One of the highest returns on on investment, I would say. Fully that they could guarantee this outcome, right? Like, can you imagine, like, guaranteed, like, find your BFF or like part or like romantic partner for life, like, totally oh worth God. the money? Yes. I feel like sometimes a line is blurred between like friendship and like partnership, and I feel like uh, Sarah, you and I have done enough like together, whether it's like hosting those dinners or the podcast, where I'm like, yep, solidly, like not romantic, but like partnership, you know, track. Um, and I was thinking about our, um, our Enneagrams actually. I don't know if anyone on the show like knows about Enneagrams or are like interested or, you know, I know that like, like thinking about things as personality types, like throws people off a little bit, but I'm like obsessed with the Enneagram. Um, I make everyone around me take it. And I think it's like, so, valuable. I feel like it's a little bit different than um, other kind of like personality tests per se. I feel like it's helped me become much more self-aware and like self-compassionate. And for me to like learn about, you know, the important people in my life a little bit better, get to know the things that motivate them or the things that like um, push them into health or push them into um, like not health and kind of recognizing um, the way that they like interact with the world and how I can better like engage with them and um, and help like support them and things like that. I feel like it's been really, really valuable. And so, um, so I'm a two, which is like called a like, quote unquote, the helper. I'm like a two wing three for those of you out there who like are, are well-versed in the Enneagram lingo. Um, and Sarah, I think you're a nine, right? Yeah. I'm a nine wing one. Um, although I feel like learning about the wings actually has yeah. probably been one of the most like personally helpful things with the Enneagram. Yeah. Like I, I totally agree with the Enneagram creates a lot of self-compassion. It also, I think like creates an avenue for empathy for those around you. Like if you're having an argument or if somebody reacts in a certain way, like understanding their reason why is can, yeah, can just like create a lot of empathy. Um, But yeah, I think that the wings for me, the wings have been really informative because um, the difference between a one and an eight is like mm. wild. Mm. Um, and like, well, and like between an eight and a nine, right? And so yeah. when I think about like being a nine, but I can 
like lean one way or the other. And, you know, as you, as you grow, as you age, um, you can kind of like shift back and forth between them or sort of like flow one way or the other. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty consistently a nine wing one, but I like thinking about like leaning into, into my eight. Um, mm. For example, in a Slack channel the other day, um, I have been practicing my um, appropriate but not too much detail clapbacks to men making stupid arguments mm-hmm. <laughs> or like lazy <laughs> arguments. Like th- that's not always something I'm comfortable with, but I mm. like you know lean on that that eight wing to do things. Yeah, like that. love that. Love that. That's so funny. Um, I think one of the things that I like admire most about you is like your ability to, I guess, lean on that eight wing and like speak up and like (laughs) clap back when needed. Um, And that's something that like I've always been really encouraged and like inspired by when we were in school too. So I'm glad that that's still serving you um, very well. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Song. I love that. What, um, since we're talking about the Enneagram, what is, what do you think your most like two personality trait is where you're like, oh, like this is how it clearly comes out in like the way that I act or like the way I am in relationship. One of the biggest realizations about myself was that I, I mean, I'm, I think people perceive me to be very like outgoing or, um, I'm just like make relationships very easily, Um, and I like love being around people. Um, and I'm like, you know, uh, I I hear a lot that like when people talk to me, they feel heard or, you know, whatnot. Um, and I think I'm like somewhat of a social chameleon where like, no matter who I talk to, like, I feel like I can, I can talk to most people. Right. Um, and like, that's always served me well. I feel like that's like literally maybe the only thing that's like carried me as far as it has in life. Um, But the realization or kind of, uh, yeah, understanding and learning that like the, the need to be liked or like the need to Mm. show that I am helpful really comes from a place of like wanting to be loved. Right. Um, And so kind of like recognizing that in myself, and that's helped me to build boundaries, I think. Um, I think one of my like least healthy habits was the lack of boundaries. And so I would spread myself so thin in like, you know, caring for others. And that kind of came out in, you know, my family life as well as like my professional life. Um, and it, to like to a point where it got really unhealthy and and you know burned me out in so many ways. And I think learning that I am an Enneagram too, um, And that I like actually, you know, don't need to do all that, right? Like to be loved, right? And um, that I can have healthy boundaries was something that was um, really cool for me to learn. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, when I was first like trying to figure out which Enneagram I was and, you know, shout out to my roommates, Jen and Amina, of 5D, um, if you're listening, <laughs> for introducing me to this. Um, but as I was trying to figure out who I was, you know, whether I was an Enneagram 2 um, or 3, because I kept kind of every, I took a few different tests. There's a few different methods of like how to figure out what you are. And I kept kind of, um, it was between a 2 and a 3. And every time it would just kind of 
you know, toggle back and forth. Um, and the three is an achiever, right? And so you can imagine um, like a two disposition of like wanting to help people and like wanting to be there for people um, combined with like the need to achieve, right? Um, yeah, I think it, it, it came out um, maybe like before I, I like fully understood myself in, in again, like kind of unhealthy ways um, sometimes by burning me out. And so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, it's it's been really helpful to me and, and um, it's helped me a lot since then, like even during business school, as I was trying to like figure out what I wanted to do with my career and um, what I wanted, you know, in life and what I wanted in a partner even and, and all of that. So, yeah. Um, how about you, Sarah? What do you think, when do you, I guess, feel like you manifest a nine the most? Um, I... I think I'll I'll approach it from what you were just talking about, which was like figuring out what type you were. So similarly, when I had taken the test, I came up as a three like every time. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Whatever. Like I've always been super driven, like the achiever thing makes sense. And then I like started really reading about it and like reading mm-hmm. books and listening to experts on podcasts and like understanding all of all of the um, Enneagram numbers. And it was like, oh, like it was kind of shocking. I was like, oh, I I am not a three. Mm-hmm. I am obviously a nine. <laughs> um, and because mm-hmm. the nine is like at the end, like one through nine, um, if you're reading about it, it's like the last one you get to. So like, I think that, I don't know, like you, your maybe your attention span, it doesn't like get you all the way to learning about a nine necessarily. <laughs> but once I did and I read about it, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is... Um, this makes so much sense. And mm. the nine goes to a three in health. So mm-hmm. when I'm doing really well and I am feeling balanced and, you know, getting enough rest, like emotionally healthy, whatever, um, I am an achiever. So mm. like that, it kind of makes sense why that is. But yeah, the nine is the peacemaker. And so it's it's interesting because on the positive side, I do things like leaning on the eight when I see things that are wrong and kind of call them out. Um, On the negative side, I can kind of lose myself for the desire for things to be peaceful around me. So like not express what I need because Mm -hmm. the needs of others are more important. So I think that understanding how those two motivations like fit together (laughs) in Mm -hmm. the nine was like, yeah, like I said, it was it was kind of shocking. I think that a lot of folks um, who talk about discovering the enneagram, like when you when you when you're reading about it and you like realize what number you are, it like feels like your whole life has been read to you because <laughs> it's yeah. not a personality type. It's like, oh, you know my like ugly dark secrets. <laughs> like yeah. how does how does yeah. this thing know the ugly dark parts? Right. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a like. Like, I know I'm a peacemaker, and so my personal work is, like, to lean on that eight and make it be, like, an active, positive thing, not a reactive, silent thing. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good point about the, like, what you are in health and what you are in stress. Um, I feel like it's really helpful 
um, yeah, I, I feel I, I found it very helpful, I think, in relationships, like, you know, whether with friends or with um, significant others. So I, I'm, you know, a two, uh, a helper, right. And um, I, it, it usually like manifests as like, I just come off as just like very, like very loving, right. Um, but I had mentioned earlier how like that can be when when done without boundaries and when like motivated by the wrong things, like it can become unhealthy and like lead to resentment and, and things like that. Um, and one way of understanding like whether you are kind of in a state of health or when, whether you're in a state of stress is by um, what other kind of uh, habits you're exhibiting. So in health, I'm a four um, and the fours are kind of like creative and they're also like emotional. And, um, and, you know, my friends have pointed out that like when I'm like healthy and when I'm, when I have these like boundaries and I'm loving within my boundaries, um, I tend to be creative. So like, I love like crafting. I love like making things. Like I love painting. Um, I love music. Right. And yeah, I, I give myself space to like express that sort of creative side of me. Um, and then in stress, I'm an eight. So like the, you know, the places that like give Sarah um, strength, right? For me, that's where I go in places of stress. So I become controlling and I become um, a little bit more aggressive and uh you know, there's like, there's right, like there's like positives and negatives of all of the different types. But when I find myself feeling controlling and aggressive, I'm like, okay, tone it down, right? Like set the boundaries, right? Like check, check, you know, my motivation. It's really fascinating. I know that we're like <laughs> kind of droning on about this, but like <laughs> highly <Yeah>. recommend, um, <laughs> recommend the Enneagram. Yeah. Well, and I actually think that there's like a direct link to what we were going to talk about, which is like friendship and support. And I think like an underlying theme in our podcast is like being humans who know what our values are um, and, you know, find ways to work for change in society without burning out. And what that means is like knowing yourself, knowing what you need as far as support, um, you know, figuring out what your strengths are, right? Like for some people, their strength might be um, like, you know, vocally leading movements. That's not everybody's strength, right? Other people, it might be like writing a million letters to their Congress people or, you know, talking to their family or friends around or whatever. Like there's just so many ways you can do it and figuring out what your strengths are. Totally. And then also figuring out what the strengths and weaknesses of like you and your friends or like the people around you and like, how can you support each other? And, yeah. you know, it's, it's like a pretty obvious human thing that like anything is just about anything is easier in groups because yeah. somehow the energy you put into it isn't doubled. It's somehow exponential. Yeah. And that's true of anything, right? So like you and I are friends and we have figured out how to use that friendship and kind of move it into a partnership that means different things. And we can support each other through like actual work, like creating a podcast. And it is not, you know, 
it's not half as easy to do it with somebody else. It's like much easier to do it with somebody else. 1000%. That reminds me of um, the power of the second person. Do you remember this, Sarah? Um, I learned about, we learned about this in business school in some class. I don't remember which specific class, but it's um, like the video of this man um, like on a field and he starts just like dancing by himself. Um, and at first when he starts, everyone's like looking at him, you know, you know, like, what, like, what is he doing? Like, he looks crazy. Like, what is he doing? Right. He's just like dancing in the field. Um, and then it's not until that first person joins him where everyone's like, oh, okay. Mm. I see potential in this, right? Like, okay. All right. Okay. This could actually be really fun and cool. And then, um, and then people sort of, sort of like join in swarms, um, and I feel like that's so true in so many things. Um, and I think that is part of why, you know, with another person, it's less, um, it's not just like doubling impact, but it, it you know, exponentially creates, um, yeah, some sort of like psychological force around uh, that, that part of the second person that like I couldn't get, um, get that dancing man out of my head, right? Um, I, I just found that so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh yeah. I, I just, I love that thought of like, like as long as you're not standing alone, things can like become a movement. Yeah. And I think that kind of like, as long as you're not standing alone and, you know, things can become a movement and this power of the second person thing, like, I feel like with the two of us thinking back on um, the things that we've started or the things that we've worked on together um, I don't ever remember like which one of us said it first or which one of us like agreed and, and became the second person. But um, for example, like, I mean, working on this podcast, I specifically remember like summer of 2020 when there was all this news coming out about um, these women led quote unquote sustainable apparel companies with really toxic and racist cultures. And we were talking about how with, um, you know, things that we are, we're always talking about how, you know, there's this like emphasis on um, environmental sustainability, but then it doesn't take into consideration human rights or um, inclusivity, right, or equity. And, um, and like, it was kind of baffling to us that, uh, that people, wouldn't link those things together and um, that one of them gives credibility to the other and, and, you know, they really can't exist without the other. Um, And so, yeah, I I don't remember like how it came about, but, you know, one of us mentioned just like, let's let's do something about it. And probably the other person said like, why not a podcast? And like two (laughs) weeks later, right. We were working on a podcast. Um, But I can't imagine, I feel like, how many times have I, you know, said the words like we should do something about it, right? And how many times have those things actually come to fruition? Um, yeah, I'm just like so grateful that, yeah, grateful for you, Sarah, and that, and you know, for you, you or me, <laughs> whoever it is, um, being that kind of like first, second person to um, spur each other on to like actually. Uh, yeah, do the things that we like, we care so passionately about. Thank you, Song. I love that story. Um, And yeah, thinking about our origins as it, as it comes up, I think that our, 
our like podcast anniversary is probably sometime next month. Um, we should reflect on on doing this for a year, <laughs> um, yeah. and and think back to how we've changed, what we've learned, whatnot. But yeah, in the meantime, I was remembering um, another thing last summer, um, or the uh, another thing that kind of happened at the same time is one of my sort of original favorite podcasts, um, Call Your Girlfriend. The hosts wrote a book about their friendship and they called it Big mm-hmm. Friendship. And um, they were sort of, you know, they, they wrote about themselves, but they'd also sort of interviewed, um, experts and researchers to sort of figure out like, what is friendship, right? Like what, what do we get from friendship? Like what are the sort of societal, um, definitions or boundaries we put around friendship? And, um, really one of the sort of main, you know, things that they come out with is like, these are two women who are, you know, very close. Like this is, um, you know, they would be each other's like emergency contact or whatever. Um, like it's more than just like a friend if you sort of separate friendship from like a romantic partnership. Um, but there's so much more value that you can get out of friendship and other platonic <laughs> partnerships um, if if you want that, right? Like if you're willing to put that in. And I think that that's something as um, – really is like our generation is doing a lot of things different from previous generations, right? We're mm-hmm. not getting married as young or as often. We're really not having kids um, yeah. as young or as often. And what that means is like a lot of opportunity to like create quote family for ourselves yeah. and like build those relationships, how we want them to look and like friendship can be the, you know, this huge source of like light and value and support, um, I think in like an even deeper way than we maybe would have looked at it before. And so it's just really interesting to think about like how, yeah, how it's like friendship plus other things and what does that support mean? Um, and how can it be a long-term thing? You know, how can it, how can it be sustained? Um, yeah, I, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. Um, but just really interesting to think about, like, you know, we, I think, I think we put things in boxes. Like, this is what a romantic relationship is. This is what a friendship is. This is what a work, um, maybe partnership is. And I feel like for years and years, there was only like negative stories about crossing those boundaries, right? Like, don't work with your spouse. Don't, you know, start a business with your friend or whatever. And um, now the conversation seems to be a lot more about like your relationships can be whatever you want them to be. Just, you know, like you were talking about before, create good boundaries, have good communication, make sure you're talking about what things work. Um, And yeah, I think that like with us, we've found these like really core things that we have in common that we are, I think like that we probably were looking for support to do things about. And like, that's how we became such good friends and like want to take action on these things. Cause we were, we were looking for that, whether we kind of knew it or not. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think for both of us, um, when we met, 
we were, so again, it was, you know, the beginning of business school and, um, and I don't know about you, Sarah, but business school, and I think I've mentioned this a few times, like was the last thing on my mind, um, like never in a million years. Uh, yeah, like literally two months before I applied to business school was the first time that business school ever crossed my mind. Um, and so I was a little bit trepidatious that like, I, I would be the only person in the room that like doesn't come from um, like a business background or like who doesn't know. And, you know, like I didn't know any of the lingo, right? Like people would be talking about like MBB and I was like, what? I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Um, Now, yeah. Now you know what it means. (laughs) Um, But I, I think that again, as, as extroverted as I am and how um, I feel like I, I do have a tendency to just like, you know, make friends quickly. And I thoroughly, you know, I kind of like, I did feel um, it was, it, yeah, it was exciting, right. To like meet people who were different from me. And um, I, I found such a wonderful community at SOM. Um, but there was this other kind of element of like, huh, I wonder if I would actually ever be like fully seen because I have such different experiences and such like different viewpoints. Um, And so I don't, you know, I would agree with what you said, Sarah, about just like being in a place where we were kind of like intentionally looking for, um, for people who are looking for the same things, um, maybe not like broadcasting it on um, like a personal ad or something. And I'm, yeah, so grateful that SOM was a place that like had people like me, people like us in mind. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really interesting to think about that. I was reflecting on just sort of very generally those types of things, kind of like what my business school experience was. Um, on multiple levels when talking with another classmate of ours a few weeks ago. And one of the observations I made um, that, you know, it it really is like in a way why it was hard for us to meet, like it took a really unique like chance um, encounter for us to be like placed in the same place at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because SOM does this amazing job of like creating these incredibly diverse groupings within the class, right? So you have your class and then you're broken down into a cohort and then the cohort is broken down into a learning team and it's your learning team that you really get to know really quickly. Um, And they basically have tried to make each of those teams like as diverse as possible on many levels, right? So you've got the people who did consulting, the people that had done investment banking, those of us who had none of that experience, people from all over the world, like they just really try to kind of mix it up um, within those groups. And I'm very close with my learning team. And we are so different. Like the two other Mm -hmm. women in my learning team that I became very good friends with, like I I don't know that we would have been friends just like out in the real world. Like I don't Mm -hmm. know that we would have just like met maybe at work, like working in different functions and just been friends. Um, But this kind of unique situation, you know, it truly intense amounts of time together, we became really good friends. And so when it came to finding people at SOM who like shared values or interests, especially if they weren't like, I'm going into consulting or I'm, 
you know, going to go work um, for a consumer, you know, product brand, or I'm going to go into banking, but like something niche in between, it kind of took some time and effort to find those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, there was a couple people that I talked to like the, well, I guess not the end of our second year, cause we were quarantining in our, in our apartments, but um, yeah. well into our second year that I was like, why did I never have this conversation with you yeah. 18 months ago? Right. Like mm-hmm. somebody I probably would have um, totally connected with, become great friends with, but like, we just never had those conversations to find that thing that was like so common between us. Right. Yeah, no, I would agree with that as well. Um, I, do yeah they SOM and I guess business schools in general like they see the value of connection and of networks and um, of like the really powerful synergies that come from um, come from relationships Um, I think that you know and we've talked a lot about um, how we both you know met people in business school who were so different from us and you know had friendships with with people that were uh, that were so that were so different from us that had such pr- different perspectives and that we would have never been friends outside of business school, but it really kind of like opened up our perspectives and um, kind of like I think I'll just speak for myself, but like rounded me out a lot more than I had been in kind of my own um, own bubble before business school. But on the other hand, I think business school was also a place where I found people who were more like me, um, even than the people that were in my bubble, right? So, mm-hmm. um, uh, so for example, um, in the very kind of like niche, very social activist um, place that I was coming from, some parts of my identity that I feel like I've had to downplay, um, for instance, or um, that I like struggled a lot with was my faith. And for me, my faith is really like important to me. It's very core to who I am. It, you know, um, it's where I've like found community and it's where I've like, I found a lot of peace, right? It's just really important to me. But because of what Christianity has come to mean, especially in kind of um, in that world, in the social justice space, um, I think yeah, I've had to kind of like keep conversations around my faith outside of my conversations around work, for example, or um, yeah, or what have you. And so I, I think it wasn't until business school where I like felt, um, you know, I, yeah, I like, I, 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 um, there was this thing called Voices, which is a, a forum for students, for faculty to really just have a safe space for um, for the community to like get to know you. And it, you know, people can talk about anything that they want. Um, sometimes it's extremely personal. Um, sometimes it's, you know, it's kind of lighthearted and fun. Um, sometimes it's like deep there's, you know, people talk about, you know, their trauma, people talk about, um, uh, yeah, just like really interesting things or family, et cetera. And I, you know, when I decided to do one, I knew that the thing that scared me the most to talk about publicly was my faith. And so um, I think it was the first time that I, yeah, decided to kind of like 
be public <laughs> about what my faith meant to me in, in a group of, you know, I mean, business school is professional, right? So in a group of like professional peers and um, just like the level of um, acceptance from the community, right? Like just the support and um, like the non-judgment, right? From from the, the SOM community and um, all that, like, I think that really touched me. And I feel like, yeah, and in some ways, like business school, um, yeah, I just had that reflection the other day about how business school actually helped me people to find, uh, yeah, find people who were more like me than I thought that I did in the past. I like that connection to it. And I actually, I do agree largely that I think most of the people that I met in business school and kind of like the conversations that I had, people are more, maybe just like more open to like new ideas and different ways mm-hmm. of like doing things than some of the other groups of of people that I've been in. Um, and and people are so just supportive. Um, and and maybe like like we we said, like that's what happens when you put a like incredibly diverse group of people very closely together. Um, and like, it causes a lot of conflict. Not everybody is, is best friends with the people in their learning team. Um, Mm -hmm. but it also like forces you to like directly face what is different, how people work differently, how people learn differently, different time priorities, um, all of that. And, I actually think that it creates this like incredibly, or it can create if sort of fostered well, um, an incredibly like supportive environment. And I think that it's very well exemplified by, um, by the whole like voices program, right. And people sharing some, you know, really personal, um, things that, everyone just sort of like welcomes, right? Like there's never, it is truly like a non-judgmental space. And when you're sitting in the room, um, sort of like listening, looking around, like the the people in that room are really diverse, right? Like you have mm-hmm. the like only ever been a investment banker people and the like going back into consulting people and, you know, people who um, have all range of, of interests and, um political and faith and family thoughts and experiences. Um, and everyone's just like there to listen. And it's like a really unique and cool. Um, yeah, it's a really unique environment that I don't think I've seen elsewhere. Um, at least not in that truly like open way. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's so special. Um, not to say that like everyone has to go to business school or we're that, <laughs> like recommending it so highly or, you know, what, you know, whatnot, but I think, um, you know, finding or creating opportunities for, yeah, to be, to meet and to build trust with and, um, yeah, kind of like really learn to listen to and, um, feel also to be, be felt heard by, people that are different from us, I think is really powerful. And um, I don't know, I don't know what it's been like, you know, during COVID or what it will be like after COVID, you know, what kind of spaces will exist for those relationships to form. But I feel like, you know, more powerful than anything, right? Like those 
places, those kind of spaces, safe spaces to um, truly engage with one another's humanity is so, so powerful. Yeah, I I think a lot about um, Brene Brown's work and like how do we put vulnerability into practice in our lives and how doing that is basically the only thing that's going to save us. <laughs> like that's the only way to like continue um, to create society that has respect for each other is through vulnerability. Um, and it's, it's hard. Um, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to maybe talk to people who um, are very different from you or, we're coming from a different angle, right? It's it's hard to maybe cr- like have to correct somebody or disagree with somebody. It's hard if you know them really well, and it's hard if you don't know them really well, right? It's um, it's definitely not easy, but it's also, yeah, I think like it's the only thing that's going to save us. Like it's the only yeah. way to, you know, at least feel like we're continuing to have a society that strives for like, you know, respecting each other as humans. Um, and yeah, I I think a lot of people want that. And I think that what maybe what we've learned in our experiences is to like really find ways to lean into that, right? Like you, you need you need your friends and your people who are probably just going to kind of agree with you and support you in like a very general way. And you also need people around you who are going to disagree with you or who are going to have a different idea about something. And um, I think that, you know, for us and where we had, you know, the, the types of work that we had come from before business school was like a unique opportunity for us to experience that, right. To be with people who, you may have thought you shared all of the values with, and then they say something or like have a a difference of opinion that you think is just, is just wild. Like you, like where could that have possibly come from when, when we share all these other values? Um, But it's also therefore like a, it almost is easier to have that conversation because it's like, Oh, I know this about you. Why do you think that? Or where does that come from? Can you tell me more? Um, and if you're, you know, if you're not around different people with those different ideas, it's hard to create that empathy, create the real relationship that can lead to those conversations. So I, I looked up like, um, like two and nine relationships, right? <laughs> I think you're talking here probably about partnerships. Um, but again, there was a very, <laughs> there's a, you know, lines that we kind of go in and out of um, these days. And so I, I think this, uh, yeah, I don't know. I found this really interesting and um, I think might be a good note to end on. So twos and nines, both types tend to be optimistic and to reframe disappointments in the most positive way possible. This pairing has an outstanding, warm, kindly, and good-natured quality about it that each side reinforces. Twos and nines are easygoing, hospitable, undemanding, happy to make friends, happy to welcome them into their home, which we've done together. (laughs) Twos bring the pair a more outward and interpersonally engaging energy. They would most likely be the first to introduce themselves at a party or go to someone's aid and comfort if they perceived that the other person had some kind of problem. On the other hand, 
Nines bring a quiet steadiness and an uncomplicated, an uncomplicated directness that allows people to flourish and things to get done with minimum stress and conflict. Both go out of their way to be considerate of each other as well as other people. Much of their communication is nonverbal, physical, arising from their simple, direct presence to each other. They can develop almost a psychic link to each other. This is a very mellow couple whose emphasis on hospitality <laughs> reminds people <laughs> how healing it is to be around loving, generous people. Oh my gosh. That's that so that's lovely? all so true. It's I mean it's so, so lovely. <laughs> it's so lovely, but I'm also like, oh yeah, like for example, when you post something on LinkedIn, you get like two to three times more reactions than I do. Um, it's just like a funny, like how our networks work, right? Like yeah. you are infinitely approachable in public with people. And I'm like, not so approachable. I'm more of a like, come into my home and like, that's where <laughs> I get to be friendly. Um, I love that. It, it feels so you, like, true. Done and you, <laughs> yeah, you are again, so direct. You don't, you know, care about like, um, yeah, you don't care. You don't like care about what the other person necessarily um, thinks, or you don't fear like, uh, yeah, you don't fear conflict or something like that. And you're just, you just have like, yeah, the steadiness and uncomplicated <laughs> directness uh, that actually allows the two of us to get things done. Um, I really appreciate. <laughs> I like that S steady and uncomplicated directness. I'm gonna, I'm gonna right? remember that. That's what I'm <laughs> thinking about it. Oh my gosh. Well, that that is such a lovely, um, a lovely point to end on. If if we ever have to like, like dramatically change up our podcast, I feel like we can do some sort of like nine and two thing <laughs> <laughs> love it thank you for listening to effing ethical as usual we would love to hear from you uh, what topics are you interested in what are your thoughts about our thoughts really anything um, you can email us at hello at songandsarah.com or find us on Instagram at F-I-N-G underscore ethical.